Welcome to the Tightly Coupled Book Club. I'm Aji, joined by my returning half, Mina. Hello. For this episode, we read Action View Overview in the Ruby on Rails Guides, version 7.0.7.2. Mina, did you learn anything that surprised you? I feel like everything on this page is surprising at one point or another. I don't use the Rails view layer very much ever, really, in the last five years of being a software developer. So while a lot of this is things I've used before, some of the descriptions of underlying implementation or how Rails regards these things were educational and surprising. I've had kind of a similar experience up until a while ago. It had been a long time since I'd used Rails templating, living in a world of React as the front end. So it wasn't until recently on the project I started about nine months ago or so at work that I was using the built-in Rails view layer. So while I'm familiar with these things, I've used them. They are not the most comfortable part of Rails for me, I guess. API mode ruled the world for a while there with Rails. But anyway, it's great to have you back. We've been having a lot of fun going through the last couple of pages at the Rails guides, but I, I am glad to have you back as my co-pilot. I was really bummed, though, how this whole thing timed out while I appreciated the time off to focus on race training, which isn't done yet. I'm not going to be done with this round of races and training for another six weeks. That being said, it timed out really well for the height of the training season, except it didn't because I missed all of the active record sections. And that is like not bread and butter. That is my... It's your jam. It's a different toast covering. <laughs> It's 11 a.m. and I'm hungry. <laughs> this section is a work in progress section, like the last episode. So on top of being an overview, it is a little brief. It doesn't have a lot of depth to how it goes into any of these concepts, which I didn't find as jarring this time around because it is an overview. They're just trying to give you a taste of these concepts. I'd be curious to know at what point the people managing the Rails guides determine that a page is out of work in progress mode, because this page feels a lot like the other overview pages, and it feels complete, even though it's a very high level coverage of what Action View is. But like you said, it's an overview. So I wasn't sure what was work in progress -y about it. On the index page, the little description of what a work in progress means, it says that guides marked with this icon, there's a little edit pencil icon, are currently being worked on and will not be available in the guides index menu. While still useful, they may contain incomplete information and even errors. You can help by reviewing them and posting your comments and corrections. And let's just say I feel attacked. Well, why? Because we've been getting really familiar with the guides and the documentation, and we've got opinions now, and we've gone through a lot of the prose that is written for the Rails guides, and we have yet to contribute or join that conversation. Okay, to be fair, though, neither of us this go-around have hands-on keyboard contributed, but we have inspired other people to contribute to the guides. I guess that's true. That's contributing by proxy. By proxy makes it sound like we did nothing. Well, I mean, depending <laughs> depending on what your criteria are, we potentially did do nothing. We're middle management. I see. And that's better? <laughs> 
So this is the first page that is about a feature of Rails that is prefaced with action. Active record, active model, those are part of the half of the gems or modules of Rails that start with active. And this is the first that starts with action. Do you know what the difference between the two is? Active is backend related and action is front end related. Okay, let me see if I can put that together. What do we got? We've got active record. That makes sense. Active job, active storage. Action mailer. Action mailer. Very nice. We learned that from the most recent RailsConf keynote given by Eileen Yuchtel. Mentioned that just in part of her describing her involvement in the history of Rails as a framework, as a technology. And soon after that, in another sentence, she invited us all to take a more active role in the development of Rails. And so now all I want to do is build a new gem for roles and permissioning and call it active role. I may have started that gem. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah. I would say more. Yeah. Okay. I've been working on extracting out a role and permissioning system that we had built for my last project at work. It seemed like something that could be very useful because that seems like something that we or I have implemented across a lot of different applications. And while I like Pundit for most of the mechanisms, there isn't a roles infrastructure to that gem. And so I wanted to try and make something that had been working for us, but generalized so that other people can use it in their applications. I'm surprised that doesn't exist already. It might. It's a little bit. I liked our implementation. I had paired with a coworker on it and we thought that we got something pretty elegant and usable. That coupled with being struck by that idea or that need after Eileen said active role, I think are really just combining together that it'll be, if nothing else, an exploration and an experience of open sourcing a gem, which I haven't done. That sounds cool. Looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Have you reserved the name yet? You know, I looked at Ruby Gems, but I didn't put it up there. I'm going to have to do that before we put this episode out now. <laughs> I was just thinking as you were explaining the history of this gem or whatever that you're working on, I was like, oh, just like every time I encounter the front end, I find a way to get out of it. That was complete tangent. <laughs> has nothing to do with this page at all. That is true. That might be because this is an overview page and there's not a ton of stuff to sink our teeth into and have a conversation about. It might also just be your proclivity for running away from the front end. Yeah. So you don't prefer to work in the front end, you know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, not really your favorite part of web development. But as we saw in this page, Rails can actually give you some tools to use for maybe a JSON API. They have JBuilder to build templates for JSON responses. Have you used that before? No, actually, this is the first time I've heard about JBuilder. I'm confused about the use cases of JBuilder because the JBuilder templating basically instead of what, like HTML from a view template, it compiles into JSON and returns that JSON as response from your application. How is that different than if your controller just returns JSON? For the client who's requesting the JSON, it isn't different. 
a reason you might want to lean into JBuilder as opposed to just doing to JSON on something is that you can encapsulate the logic and the concept of building up that object, that data structure into the Rails view response layer. And so much like we've talked about before, leaning into the way the framework wants to work, this gets you a lot of the things that come through convention, just like with your HTML.erb. Rails will look in a specific place and it will do the things that it usually does instead of just hash to JSON. And that way you don't have to keep the logic that is going to set keys and, and different things. If you have some kind of munging or shaping to do, uh, it won't be in your models. It won't be in your controller. It'll be right there in a template because the template is the only place that needs that shape and needs that logic. So it is the conventional place to encapsulate all that. So my most recent use case for JBuilder was an endpoint that returns a bill, like an invoice. I wanted to have some conditional rendering of errors because it was a response for a post endpoint and we were going to create some records in our system based on these requests. So I wanted to conditionally render an errors key and all of its values. But I didn't want to have that in the controller, in the model. I didn't want to make a presenter just for this because Rails gives us basically a presenter, a template system without having to do it ourselves. That in this particular use case is the thing that made me change the code from the two JSON that I started with. And as it got a little more complicated, move it over into JBuilder. So basically, if you have something like a conditional or if you need to loop through something to build this JSON, JBuilder gives you that flexibility of JBuilder gives you a nicer way to do it. Yeah, it's a little more straightforward. It's kind of declarative in a way, as opposed to you build this hash with this step and this step and you do that. You can sort of say that I want a key of record and pass it a block and say, I'm going to have two more keys with these values. And you can have if and it's Ruby code. So you can do anything that you can do with Ruby in there. You get your instance variable from the controller and it's all nice and neat. It will go based on the accept headers and just kind of do all of that where you might normally see a respond to JSON, respond to HTML block, that kind of thing. If you just lean into this convention, then even that little bit of, if you can even call it boilerplate code, I hope that's a true thing that I just said. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is. Should put disclaimer on our episodes, like reserve the right to be incorrect. Oh, I always reserve the right to be wrong. <laughs> I just looked the controller that goes along with that JBuilder template. I have a render status and no other things passed to render, nothing more complicated because, again, it's falling back to all of that infrastructure that's already there from Rails because I've stuck to the convention. The view layer seems like one of these places that is more convention over configuration-y than a lot of other places in Rails. Do you find that? I do. Actually, it relates to some of the difficulties I've had when I had side or pet projects that when I was first learning that had the view layer portion. Because you can drop so many of these options or not have to explicitly declare things that you pass into a view template, that sometimes it's really difficult to track what all is available to you in a 
template and what they are called. That's good if you're super familiar with Rails, but if there's someone coming into the code base from a different framework or language, then it's going to be harder for them to track it down. And if you haven't touched the view layer in a couple of years, it might take a few angry error messages. Can't find template for, like we've all seen that. It'll take a few of those to get you back into the patterns that Rails wants. I think the thing that I always forget is the way that controller methods and the view templates are connected is, for example, the instance variable that you define in a controller action can be referred to by the same name in the template correlated with that action. So inside a method definition for index, for example, you define a, let's use your example, and add invoices and set it to a collection. That collection is available inside your index template as invoices. Yeah, and that's something where in another situation might actually feel like a code smell, right? Where you've got this mystery guest of this data leaking into another place that you haven't explicitly said. That's true. I've never thought of them as mystery guests, mostly because maybe I'm just trained into accepting Rails conventions, even though I forget a lot of them sometimes. But when somebody says, oh, Rails treats instance variables in a controller action, makes it available in the template, I'm just like, oh, yeah, Rails does that to me is then declaring the guest that you have invited. You're basically inviting that guest over to the template. Right. There's a blanket open invitation. Any instance variable in the controller, just come on over to the view. <laughs> no, you don't need to call first. Just knock. We're always home. That little bit of functionality isn't something that is buried in documentation or comes along with that tribal knowledge or anything. That's one of the main features of the controller and view interaction. So it's less that sort of magic that can bite you than others because it is very obvious. It's brought up very early on in learning Rails and learning this kind of section of the framework. I was able to pull that example out of thin air just now because I've had to spend time to refigure out that relationship multiple times in the past. So now that I had to do that, it's solidified in my head. That is a thing that exists. And because we haven't read ahead, I can't say that it is written in the view layer section of the documentation. So that to me feels by definition is tribal knowledge. It could be very explicitly written in the documentation, and I just either don't remember or haven't gotten to it yet. The thing that always trips me up is the locals key when you are rendering a partial. Because of that whole easy connection between instance variables and templates, it's not always straightforward to me as to when you would have to use locals or when you can just let the naming conventions kind of fall into place. So that was something that was mentioned in this page. Let me see if I can find it. So locals in a render essentially sets your local variables in your template, right? You pass it a hash and then those things are then available in your template by those keys. Yeah, in partials. So passing from... From template to partial, basically, right? Yeah, I saw that. I've never used locals before. And I imagine that this theme of me reacting to action view portion of the documentations will keep coming up because my understanding of action view and the view layer is so basic <laughs> that I want to say I've never used locals before because when you're building a very basic UI with very simple data model structure, it's probably 
not necessary. And you can, again, like you said, just let the naming convention handle the things by omitting locals altogether because it infers a lot of things. But that does bring me to my favorite thing that I learned off of this page. It's related to partials, but also related to something about partials that I forget all the time is that you can really easily render a whole list of partials, one for each item in a collection by passing a collection to the render method. But what I didn't know, we can quote this from the documentation page directly, is that Rails determines the name of the partial to use by looking at the model name in the collection. So you can pass it a collection of different model instances. So for example, you have a book and an author, like you have a collection with some books and some authors. Rails would look at that collection and for books, render the book partial and for authors, render the author partial. And that just blew my mind. <laughs> and the quote from the documentation is that Rails will choose the proper partial for each member of the collection. Yeah, I wrote that out too. It is something that once I had read it and been surprised by that, and was like, oh, that's really neat. I thought back to the plumbing that makes that happen under the hood. And oh, that makes sense because we saw this in the active model section last. You can model by model tell Rails where to find partials. When you don't define it, again, we fall back to convention. And so it's not taking a partial and rendering it to everything in the collection. It's asking each member of the collection, hey, how do I render you? I really like that sort of mechanism because it goes along with thinking of an object that handles all its own things. It has the behavior that's specific to it. It has the data that is specific to it. And it can also encapsulate its own view. I just find that that's so generous of Rails. Instead of back to that sort of view template being a party thing, a whole group of people show up. Rails isn't going to be like, this is how I'm going to treat all of you, which is exactly the same. Rails is asking, it's like, hey, how do you want to be treated when you come to this template party? A few other partials, things that came out along the lines of collections, there were spacer templates. Who knew? If you've got a list of models that you're rendering, you can also pass a spacer template to go in between them. And that's just another partial. So if you have a design or UI element, something like that, that you want to go in between those list items, you can do that right from rendering that collection. So that's pretty nifty. Partial layouts. I also had never taken advantage of that before. In the same way that a layout can wrap templates and more broadly for Rails, you can wrap a partial in a reusable bit of code that they also call a layout, probably referencing that same kind of relationship that the larger application-wide layouts have. That would be if you want to have a consistent component, essentially, of a UI element like a card or something like you can have a partial that will yield the innards of the card and just pass a string along that says, hey, when you render that product, wrap it in a card. And that's one of the, that's one of the things I really like partials and this whole system for. I will extract a partial pretty quickly. That's not how everybody likes to work, but especially for me, the way that ERB can add a little bit of visual noise to a file, extracting a partial to make those smaller, more digestible, more able to be kept in my head at one time. That's really a useful mechanism for me for being able to understand and navigate a code base. If an ERB template gets really long, I just, my eyes glaze over and I have a lot of trouble with it. 
So you're saying it has nothing to do with the fact that you come from React and everything's a component? I'm sure there's a lot of crossover there for sure. That is something that in my talk, hotwiring my React brain, where I went through how my mental model of the front end is really closely linked with how React works and its metaphors. One of the equivalencies that occurred to me was that turbo frames aren't like React components, but partials are. You can pass it some data as your locals. It has its own markup. And so a lot of the benefits of componentization, you can get through partials. I will extract a partial for readability and understandability, even if there isn't an express location where I'm going to be reusing that partial. That's not everybody's cup of tea, but that's how I like to work. Sounds reasonable. Think. What more do you have to say about the, the view layer? What else was interesting to you as someone who doesn't visit this part of the rails very often? You ain't from around these parts. No, um... No, I'm not from around these parts. And it feels like visiting a town where I'm just like, it's kind of fun. I can see why other people would enjoy being here. But like, when can I go home? So I see in your notes and something that I saw in the guides page here about how Rails supports multiple template systems. But is it true most people use HTML ERB? Because that feels like what I have encountered. Oh, that's untrue. That's just default, maybe? I think that they were trying to talk about not only could you add something like Slim or Haml, but also things like JBuilder or the XML template system. I tried to look up a list somewhere of the different templating systems that are involved in Rails so that I could understand what they were referring to there. But there wasn't, in my four minutes of searching before we started recording, there wasn't a sort of canonical list that I could pull up. So we can only go on what is mentioned here in the page, and that's the mm -hmm. JBuilder, HTML, and the XML. You mentioned as examples to different templating systems, some options, right? Like JBuilder and ERB. And I'm not super familiar with Slim, but I have seen Haml. I have seen, what was the other one? Oh, <laughs> XML. And even coming from React world like JavaScript, I would not necessarily lumping into a templating system, but into the statement I'm about to make is that a lot of these are just not aesthetically pleasing to write. And so I think a lot of that is my problem with writing front-end code is not only is the end End product, something I'm not totally interested in producing, like making things look a certain way. And the thing I'm typing to get there a lot of times is just hard to do. Even these cute little squids and ice cream cones are hard to, they're hard on your finger to type. That just is a neutral statement of fact. I know it doesn't sound super neutral, but it is a statement of fact. Especially because I have an ergonomic split keyboard and I program the symbols into it in a weird way. So pointy brackets are actually really hard for me to get to and I mistype them all the time and they're just all over the place in ERB. Mm -hmm. HTML too. And then you throw something like Tailwind in there. You don't extract a lot of partials for readability. And all of a sudden, you've got this unparsable or nigh unparsable wall of text that doesn't look all that great. It's hard to see the matrix, right? You can't see the stake, the hotel, or whatever it was that they talk about when they're looking at the matrix code in the movie. It's harder to look at that and my brain automatically interpret it as here's the layout 
here's this thing that's doing that on the page. I have to go back in and sound it out mm -hmm. every time. So I really love things like Slim because it is trying to be as terse than HTML ERB is. To make a div with a class, you just put dot and then the class name. That just seems so simple. And it is white space dependent. Not a huge fan, but that's mostly just a dig on Python more than an actual opinion I have. I've come around on white space dependent languages, not come around in a way that's I think that they're superior, but at least I'm neutral about them. I have come to accept them because I do work a lot in YAML files. Something else that stood out to me that I really super enjoyed and hope to see more of in the guides is when they talk about internationalization in your views and how if you set a locale in a controller, Rails will know to look for a specific file. So say if you set the language or locale to ES for Espanol, it will look for say index.es.html.erb. It also mentions that Rails doesn't restrict the symbol that you use for the locale. So your symbol could be literally anything. It doesn't have to map to a country or a location. The example that they used was displaying something different for an expert user by setting locale to like colon expert. I wonder if there's somebody out there that's using this mechanism to differentiate between admins and your role-based permissioning. It's that mention that Rails is more permissive than only using whatever the standard notation is for locale and translation that Rails will just accept arbitrary symbols and follow that same convention. And I think that's something that guides have an ability to do that maybe API docs don't showing off a little bit of, hey, this is actually super flexible and here's how you can kind of hack it a little bit or here's how you tap into this extra power. And I just really loved it. And it felt a little... It felt a little bit like the Rails core team's talking to you and being like, I dare you to make this creative. Feels a little rebellious in there. It's like somebody slipped that in. It's like, hey, Rails doesn't want you to know, but it doesn't actually look. And so take advantage of that. Do some cool stuff. The way we talk about Rails is, oh yeah, it is opinionated and it gets difficult when you don't follow the conventions and all of this stuff, but then also follow the convention, but you can do something unexpected. I feel like something that either Aaron Patterson or Eileen said in that standard Rails session at RailsConf in Atlanta this year, where we voted on different defaults for standard. I'm obviously paraphrasing because I can't remember the situation or what they said specifically. We were trying to decide whether to restrict a format of something. One of them said something along the line, we left this more permissive on purpose. Why would you restrict and basically force opinion of how this like URL formatting or something. Why would you force your opinion on everyone who uses your gem? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Well, and also that it cuts off some intended functionality, right? If we had included a linting rule to only allow locale to be set to those two character codes, you wouldn't be able to take advantage of this, right? I think this is the really what I view and what I have had the experience of when I see other people doing it and when I've learned to do it myself, real Rails power user things. It's the galaxy brain step. It's taking that 
that convention over configuration to not only the stuff that is there on the surface, but also how can you use that to do something really neat? And I think it might seem in some of these instances that, it, oh, it just kind of does this. But I'll bet there's probably more of these cases that are just like you were mentioning, where the people who wrote it have left it more open and usable on purpose. So I can't wait to see more of that. I hope there is more of that in the guides coming up. We ready to wrap up? Yeah, I think so. For next episode, we are reading layouts and rendering in Rails in the Rails guides. If you have feedback or constructive compliments, we can be reached on Twitter at underscore tightly coupled. I'm sorry, on X. Stop. <laughs> at underscore tightly coupled and on Mastodon at tightly coupled at ruby.social or email us at tightly coupled.dev at gmail.com. Show notes can be found in your podcast player or tightly coupled.dev. Bye. Bye bye. I can, I can tell that you missed me and the, the, the show. You've just been I itching you, to get back. I see you every day, regardless of this show. And all of our guest hosts have been doing such a great job that I didn't think you missed me at all. How do you know? You haven't listened to the episodes. <laughs> Untrue. We're done here. I'll see myself out. <laughs>